Your neighbor Jim figured out that with MetroPCS, he gets unlimited data, talk, and text for $30, period. Babe, that color looks awesome. Just like he figured out that shopping with his wife will buy him a night with his buddies. That's Guy's Night Out figured out. You too figure it out. Switch to MetroPCS on the fast 4G LTE T-Mobile network for only $30, period. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Plan includes first one gigabyte of data at up to 4G LTE speeds. See store or MetroPCS.com for details and terms and conditions and data management info. Hello again, everyone. I'm Joe Longinusa, welcoming you to another edition of Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, the show where industry leaders, golf professionals, and legends all come and discuss the great game we love so much. So without further ado, let's turn it over to our host to tell us who's next on the T. Chris, take it away. Hey, thank you, Joe. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining me this morning on Next on the T. I am your host, Chris Mascaro, and today I get to share with you two of my all-time favorite guests, and Eric Johnson and Sean McKeel. Eric is going to join me here in just a couple of minutes. This is going to be his fifth visit with me on the show, and I always have so much fun when he's a part of it. So I look forward to you know talking with Eric, like I say, in just a couple of moments. He's been named one of the top 100 instructors by Golf Magazine every year since 2011 and he is the director of instruction at oakmont country club we'll get eric's thoughts on several things today including the 2015 golf season the year that was if you will what he thinks about the wraparound season because the 2016 as you know season has already started folks and that's something i just can't seem to get my brain wrapped around that concept plus uh we'll hear about the preparations that have already started for the 2016 u.s open there at oakmont and uh, some of the course conditions which are unbelievable there and like i say eric will be here in just a couple of minutes following eric like i say is 2003 pga champion sean McKeel. he's going to be back with me to answer more of your questions about 20 minutes from now and if you have a question that you'd like for sean to answer with us you know on a future episode right here on the air please go to the next on the t with chris mascaro facebook page and share them with me and uh, or go to twitter my twitter account is at ct mascaro send me the questions we'll make sure that we ask sean and get it on the air for you so it's going to be another great show this morning, folks. I am so glad you're here to take the journey with me. Next on the T is brought to you today by our friends over at Seymour Putters. Let's get things rolling by hearing a word from them. Golfers, has this happened to you? Great drive. Perfect second shot on the green. Only the three or even four putts. Shaking your head all the way back to the cart. I have good news. Help is on the way with the Seymour Putter. The Seymour Putter Company patented RST technology sets up the putter perfectly every time using a visible gun sight on the top line. Genius! It's like locking radar onto the target. In this case, the golf hole. Putting the golfer in perfect position to make a reliable and consistent stroke. The 1999 U.S. Open, 2007 Masters, and 2015 British Open champions all used, you guessed it, the Seymour Putter. So if you're ready to make more putts, take strokes off your game, log on to Seymour.com. That's S-E-E-M-O-R-E.com, and put a Seymour Putter in your bag today. Yeah, like Joe said, check out their rifle scope technology to help win now three majors and 36 tour events and counting because this year's British Open champion was using a Seymour putter. 
and it's going to help you make more putts. I know it's helping me make more putts. Check them out online at Seymour.com. And like Joe said, it's S-E-E-M-O-R-E.com and get one in your bag. You're going to be very glad you did. We're also sponsored by the French Lick Resort in French Lick, Indiana. Folks, you want to talk about a spectacular resort to play golf and to just relax and enjoy yourself. Well, you're not going to find a better place on the planet than the French Lick Resort. Go to FrenchLick.com and see for yourself. I had the privilege of taking my family there back in June, and we are already looking forward to going back as quickly as we can. The resort, it's historic and it's beautiful. They've got some wonderful gardens out behind the resort and a relaxing rocking chair porch all across the front. And the golf, my friends, oh my goodness, the golf. The Pete Dye course there is kept in championship condition year-round, and they could be ready to host a major championship at a moment's notice, like our friends you know, today up at Oakmont. This year, the French Lick Resort hosted the Senior PGA Championship and the LPGA Legends Championship. So if you've ever wondered what it would be like to play in a major, you can do it there on the Pete Dye course. They've also got a Donald Ross uh, design course, which is also fantastic. It's the site of Walter Hagen's PGA Championship victory back in 1924. They've also got the Valley Lynx course on the property that dates back to 1907. So the French Lick Resort needs to be on your list of places to stay and play. And oh, by the way, they got a casino right there on the property as well. For more information and to book your stay, go to FrenchLick.com. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Allen Edmonds, makers of top quality made in the USA shoes, folks, the shoes of great leaders from the Oval Office to corner offices, to stage and screen and promising cubicles all around the country are a part of what make people successful. The right footwear is important on the carpets and the hardwood floors of our global economy. Get it right with made in the USA quality and value from Allen Edmonds. Allen Edmonds is an American original. They've been making shoes in the U.S. in Wisconsin since 1922. Check them out online at allenedmonds.com as well. All right, folks, you know we like to kick the show off every single week by doing one thing that is very important to us, and that is by saluting the brave men and women serving in our military. We want to thank all of you for your daily sacrifices and for what you do to keep the rest of us safe. We also want to thank our veterans for, and all you've done for us over the years. We truly appreciate everything that our military personnel do to preserve our freedoms and our liberties. It's through your strength and your efforts that our way of life is even possible. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and the wonderful folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It's an honor for us to have Next on the T be a part of your network. You can find our show by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. And we also want to remind our veterans, please, be sure to check out globalvoiceforveterans.org. What a wonderful site with news and articles and a wealth of information designed specifically for our veterans out there that I'm sure you're going to find both interesting and beneficial. Please, again, check it out, globalvoiceforveterans.org. And one last thing before we get started, I want to give a shout out to my mom just because I love her. Fellas, remember, it's always important to remember your mom, always. And to my father, who made a six hole to one this week at his home course up at Winstone in Ottawa, Tennessee, Par 3, 11th hole, a little downhill, 175 yards, so a back left pin corner, hit a little draw back there to the back, and it uh, found its way to the bottom of the cup. He got a uh, hole-in-one, you know, he got a hole-in-one number six, you know, for him, for my buddies and I. We're still wishing for number one, but as always, congratulations, Dad, on, uh, on another hole-in-one. All right, now back with me on the Seymour Putters guest line is Eric Johnson. Let me remind you a little bit more about Eric's background. He was a four-year letterman at Mississippi State University from 1992 to 1995, earned his degree in professional golf management. He remains in the Bulldogs top 20 for most rounds played. 
He has been the director of instruction at Oakmont Country Club since 2004. Golf Magazine has named him one of the top 100 teachers every year since 2011. He's also been recognized by Golf Digest as a top 40 under 40 teacher. He is a three-time Tri-State PGA Teacher of the Year. He is also a two-time Horton Smith Award winner for his contributions to education. He's on the advisory staff for TaylorMade Adidas Golf. He's played on the Canadian Tour, the Sunshine Tour, and the Golden Bear Tour. And as I said uh, in the uh, intro a moment ago, he's one of my all-time favorite guests here on Next on the Tee. Good morning, Eric. How are you doing this morning, my friend? Hey, Chris. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, buddy. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. Better now that you're here, my friend. Uh, Eric, I, I wanted to start our time this morning by getting your thoughts, you know, on the 2015 golf season that was. It started, you know, as the Jordan Spieth run to the Grand Slam through July, and then it sort of shifted to Jason Day getting the, you know, the Majors monkey off his back, followed by, you know, a great run by him through July and August, and then ultimately swung back around to Jordan winning the uh, Tour Championship and the FedEx Cup. Uh, give us your thoughts on what you saw this season. Well, I think you saw an incredible year, really. I mean, the history that Jordan Spieth was on was incredible. Um, I thought that Rory was kind of a whiff this year. I was expecting a lot more out of him, and I, I can't quite figure him out. He's he's really he'll go really really hot, and then all of a sudden he just kind of goes out to lunch. You know, I mean, I certainly don't think that Rory is as hungry as Tiger ever was. I mean, Tiger seemed to always contend, and then Jason Day making his incredible, uh, you know, his incredible run to number one in the world. I mean, it was. It was absolutely a spectacular year. I can't say enough about Jason and Jordan. I think they're both incredible players, and I think they're great human beings as well. You can see that, you know, when you watch these interviews, you can tell how good, a, you know, human beings those guys are. It's, so golf right now is in really, really good hands. I really i am I'm happy about where it's at, the state of golf. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the wraparound season, Eric? I can't, I can't get my head around the fact that we've already started the 2016 season. You know... I'm just not a fan. I, I think that it needs to have some sort of uh, of a break. You know, I mean, now now we're going to go into the the silly season, so to speak, and and no one pays attention to these tournaments. I mean, we can't. You can't even tell me where they're playing. I I don't even know. I mean, I know it's <laughs> Vegas, and then it was uh, right. uh, the Shriners, and you know, I, I I just don't I just don't quite get it. I I'd love to see it. You know, kind of back to the olden days. I'd love to see a I'd love to see a skins game again. I'd love right. to see some of the funny, you know, listen, let's make it, let's, let's do something a little different. Um, I always love the Skins game. Who who wouldn't want to watch, you know, Jordan Spieth and Jason Day and Rory McIlroy play in for Skins? I'd love to see it. You know, I just think that they're clogging the market there a little bit. I just don't think they're giving themselves enough break. You know, because it's really, it's hard to, you know, what what is the, what does everybody really get geared up for next year? The Masters. I mean, people right. are always starting to kind of think about the Masters. So I think they need a little break. That's my personal opinion. And, you know, I mean, I just, you know, someone can argue otherwise, but that's mine. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, and I share the same opinion. I, and I, too, miss, you know, you mentioned silly season. I, I miss silly season. I, I miss the Skins game, you know, both on the, you know, the regular tour players and, and, and the Champions Tour players. I miss you know, Nicholas and Watson and, you know, and Trevino and those guys, you know, playing, playing for skins. And I think you're right. I think, you know, I think everyone would love to see Spieth and Day and, and, and whether it's, you know, McElroy and Bubba Watson or, you know, and Ricky Fowler, whoever you wanted to stick in, you know, with, with the four, you know, playing for skins. I think that's a lot of fun. I think, I think, I think golf misses that. And I, and to your point, I don't know that there's anybody paying attention to what's going on in, in the golf season, not only just because, 
you know, th these are lesser tournaments and that sort of thing. And I think that, you know, the big name players outside of Ricky Fowler, who's playing this week, you know, are, are more taking a break and need, need the break, but you know, and it's, it's, it's football season. No one's watching golf on Sunday yeah, afternoon. Yeah. Oh, by the way, open. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I totally agree. I just think that, you know, they need to, the, and you know, trust me, these, these tournaments are important. And don't get me wrong on that either, because I think the charity and all the things they do, they're great events, but seem to, there's just not the buzz that, that needs to be there. It's a PGA Tour event. Mm -hmm. It should have a lot of buzz, and it just doesn't have the right. buzz. Right. Eric, you know, we saw Jason Day hitting 385-yard drives at the PGA Championship. Bubba Watson hit a drive that actually went through the green on the 404-yard par 413th at Whistling Straits. Is, is, is it time now, Eric, for the PGA to really take a look at the golf ball and dial it back because it's starting to get ridiculous how far these guys are hitting the ball. Well, it is starting to get a little ridiculous. You know, when you look at it, you know, the manufacturers are, you know, think think about it like this. It's like NASCAR. They're always going to find a way to, when there's that much money out there, somebody is always going to find a way to get past some rule. The, 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 the guys on tour are too good. The manufacturers are figuring out that, hey, once that ball speed gets to a certain amount, it incrementally, incrementally, once that ball hits at the face at like 110, the ball incrementally starts doing, you know, crazy stuff. And we know that. And and the manufacturers are smart enough to figure it out. And, you know, I'll tell you what, you know that I'm not trying to plug TaylorMade here, but it's a great company, but you know something's crazy enough with that driver when Jason Day is going through his historic run as he is going through and changes his driver mid-season to that thing and hits it 10 yards further. So, mm. you know, the manufacturers are they're, they're really smart. That M1 is going <laughs> like crazy, and, and the manufacturers figured out, you know, launch conditions. Once you get fitted like that, uh, it's amazing to see what happens to the ball. Now, the, the only way... You know, if you didn't do anything with the equipment, if you made the rough so penal that it was like a penalty shot, that's the way to, you know, you hear everyone go stop the ball, stop the ball. How about grow some rough and make the greens firm and fast? And that will eliminate the jump in scoring that you're seeing, I, I believe. I mean, we see it here. When the rough is up here at Oakmont and, you know, the greens are firm and fast, this golf course is absolutely bare. Now, if you make it soft... Uh, you know, we see our scores really go down in what we call the, the SWAT. The SWAT is a great game. We play it, you know, three days a week, and it's one best ball, the foursome. The ball has to be hold, zero handicap. You get an A, B, C, D player. Everybody goes out and has a good time. And uh, we we notice it when it's, when it's wet and the greens are kind of soft. The scores are ridiculously low. But now, here's this one. We played on, the, on Wednesday – the score, the, the golf course is so firm and so fast right now. Then a one best ball of a foursome, ABCD player, 72 was the lowest score. Now, that's amazing. That tells you that there's something up with the golf courses. We saw 78s in that event that day. I mean, with four guys, you know, only one guy has to get in the hole. With four guys had 78, and we had two teams that did that. I mean, you know, it's amazing how hard this golf course can be. I, I said it before the show, you could play the Open here literally in a week or maybe five days, uh, three days, grow the rough for three days, and slow the greens down, and we could host the Open. 
<laughs> I love that comment. Slow the greens down. <laughs> you, the, the players would go crazy over this place right now. They'd be bitching more than more than they do now. I mean, this place is so <laughs> firm and fast right now. I think 12 over would win if they played the Open. I'm not kidding either. This place is perfect right now. The, the condition issues out there at Chambers Bay, well, I'll tell you what, we don't have any of them here. Those boys are going to get their hands full next year. It, it, it is spectacular right now. Best I've seen yeah, so, in years. So the, and that's been the urban legend, right? Which is clearly not a, not an urban legend, but you know the story has always been that you know the the greens are are firmer and faster when you're holding your own internal uh, tournaments than it is for U.S. Open conditions, which you just said you have to slow the greens down. So give us give us an idea, Eric. When when you know on a typical you know day of the week, like you just said, you had a tournament a couple of days ago. What are the greens rolling now? And what will they roll when the Open comes around? Well, I can tell you that I am sure that they were approaching 15 on the stint meter, and I'm sure of it. And, you know, if you got above the hole and you were downwind, you'd put them off the green. I mean, you just you can't, you can't stop them. And now that would get borderline into, you know, Mickey Mouse stuff for an Open. And, you know, the, during the Open, uh, they will be in 11, maybe 12. And that's so you're throwing, you're slowing them down at least three feet. Now, the funny thing, Chris, I was here in '94, '5, '6, and '7 as an assistant. So I saw the '94 Open, I saw 2007. We've seen the '10, the Ladies Open. I've seen it three times now, and we have slowed the greens down for those three opens. I can guarantee you that. I was there. Wow. I saw it. And wow. that's not that's not a myth. And the crazy part about the men's open in 2007, the rough was so ridiculous that so many guys were complaining that they ended up cutting it down on Wednesday night. And our members are like, hey, what's going on here? We've been playing in this for months. And you guys show up for three days and say it's too hard and cut it. They were they went crazy. They were like, come on, what do you what do you you can't do that? We've been we've been getting beat up for this for months. But they complained enough and sure enough they cut it down a little bit. Which probably wow. needed it. I mean, it did. Yeah, it probably did. But yeah. yeah so if you want to stop, so you want to stop scoring, firm, firm greens, and thick rough. It'll tone the ball down. People won't be able to go at it all the time. And that's and that's the funny thing to me is you know when you think about members at at, at Oakmont are actually playing tougher conditions on a day to day basis than what the USGA is going to set up for the U.S. Open. That's, that's inc- I don't think that happens anywhere else on the planet. I could be wrong, but I've never heard of that anywhere else. Chris, it's unlike anything I've ever seen right now. I had the managing editor of uh, Golf Magazine, uh, Eamon Lynch, out here on, on Monday. We did a big photo shoot for the U.S. Open preview. It'll be in the June issue. We got six, seven pages in there. It's going to be a great preview, you know, of what to expect and, and how to tame this beast if you can. And I'm not sure that you can, but uh, we filmed, you know, driving, uh, putting. We've got bunkers in there. And then we have, you know, on the videos that we'll run you through, we'll run you through the tee shot on 16, the incredible long iron par 3. Then you have a layup hole on 17, which is awesome. You know, do you lay up, do you go for it? And then the tee shot on 18, which is rare error up there when you're on Sunday about six o'clock, you know, during the during the open, because that is going to be where it's all won and lost. If you mm-hmm. if you don't hit in the fairway, you're going to lose the tournament. Period. Um, so, but it was funny. Eamon, we're playing along, and Eamon was like, "You know what? This place, this place blows me away." He goes, "And not only that, it gets harder 
the closer you get to the green. I mean, everything, these little <laughs> chips and these pitches with the greens as firm and fast as they are, uh, most players cannot finish right now because they're right. going to make a six, seven, eight, nine, pick the ball up. You know, I mean, it, it's just that hard right now. Now, is that is that borderline? Maybe, maybe, but, uh, you know, for the Open, we don't let it get out of hand. And if you've noticed the pin pit placements here, uh, 2007, 2010, not one pin was unfair. You know, they were hard, but they was not unfair. And you didn't see the Mickey Mouse stuff where it rolls up and down and up and down. They, you didn't have those. So there, it's a hard test, but legitimately we do. I will go – I don't even have a problem saying that we have slowed the greens down uh, for the last three opens. No question. Hands down. So to, to that point, and you, you sort of alluded alluded to it a moment ago, Eric. When when you've got guests coming into play, I'm sure I'm sure that you know the everyday you know, members are, are very used to what the conditions are like and that sort of thing. But when you've got guests that come in here, do they get frustrated by the golf course because it's just too hard to play? It, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you make a par on this, and you go, "Holy cow, I just made a par. That's awesome." <laughs> now you know, I mean, like, well, wait a minute, a par is a par. You know, I mean, but right now, if you make a par, you felt like you've done something. And and the golf course is beating people up right now. She's got her she's got her teeth to her right now. I mean, and she is beating people up. And wow. we just we we had our we have a really cool match between uh, Oakmont and Lock Woman Golf Club over in Scotland. This is our 11th year of the matches. We they come over here on the odds. We go over on the even, and we have a Ryder Cup style matches, and it's great. Twelve guys go over there. It's phenomenal. And they were just here, and they, you know, I mean. And we kind of need that. They're, they've got some great players uh, that can really play their handicaps. And we, you know, ours are, you know, maybe don't quite live up to some of their handicaps. But uh, the harder this golf course, the better. And it just beats people up. And, you know, we thank goodness won the matches this year and uh, beat, a lot, beat up on them pretty good. But uh, the golf course, when it's firm and fast like that, it kind of demoralizes people. Because they're not, you know, most people aren't used to saying, you know, I just hit three great shots there and I made a bogey. You know, I mean, and that's what can happen right now when the greens are as firm and fast as they are. It, it, can, wow. it can really demoralize people. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, that's, you know, the good news and the bad news, right? I mean, the good news, you know, it's interesting that we, what we'll get to see when the Open comes around. And we know it's going to be a very strict, you know, test of golf. Always is, you know, at a U.S. Open, but even more so when it's at when it's at uh, Oakmont. You got to wonder, you know, is that, you know, for the, for the everyday player that's coming there that goes, you know, like you know, a guy like me that goes, wow, I'm at Oakmont. I guess to your point, I guess, I guess the, the reward is if you can finally make a par, you feel really good about yourself. But, you know, in the meantime, you're going, you know, to, you know, am I, am I picking up, you know what, I, I, that's a 10, I'll just take a 10. Yeah, pick it up at that point. You know, I mean, yeah, you, you make a par, you feel like you've accomplished something. And I'm not sure that you feel that same sense of gratification at other places. You know, I mean, it's right. just a, this place is a bear. There's no question about it. Yeah. And, you know, as as we get into the winter time, you know, Eric, I mean, you know, we get maybe deeper into you know, December, January, February, maybe even March up there. How do you protect the course, you know, with from the snow, all the cold temperatures and that sort of thing so that, you know, in the spring you don't find yourself with, you know, you've lost part of the golf course due to, due to you know, the winter conditions? Well, you know, we, we've uh, we've done a couple things. We we aerify, we change our aerification schedule. Um we're going to airify again next week. Uh, we did it in August, and we want to give it one more really good chance to, you know, get some good, you know, growth there again. Uh, I don't 
think it needs it, but we're doing it. Um, and the changes that we've made, we 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 covered some greens over the winters now. And Superintendent John Zimmerns does a great job. Uh, you know, if there's ice on the if there's ice on the golf course or on the greens, um, he won't let it get out of hand. He'll go out and crush it and and get rid of the ice. So the covering it is going to be. We're going to have covers on it a lot this year uh, because we're, you know, obviously want to show our best product for next year. So everything's basically done. Golf courses, you know, we all the changes to the golf course are done, and the improvements are look marvelous. We took out some more trees. Trees around here are pretty nervous about those chainsaws. We uh, we, we love them, but uh, there's there's one internal tree, so it's still hanging around, but he's still hanging in there, but. We'll get him sooner or later, but it, uh, it 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 just the golf course is going to look phenomenal on TV, and the conditioning right now is perfect, and I expect nothing else for next year. It, I think it will be an awesome test. Now, the last couple of years, as most northeastern courses have gotten, we've got a little dinged up from the winter, uh, but we we came out pretty good. We came out kicking this year, so I, I hope I think we'll be in good shape. Let's talk more about uh, things going on actually out on the on the tour itself, Eric. And if you if you were PG, you know the PGA Tour commissioner, you know is is there anything about the game or how it is being presented to the public that uh, you would look to change? Well, my biggest thing would be the pace of it. It's just gotten you know I mean at least baseball did something and said hey you guys can't step out of the box all the time even though this guy's full of their gloves all the time that's gets embarrassing you know I mean you know I I watched. I watched the President's Cup, and this J.B. Holmes, his routine, you know, if I had to play with that, I'd just say, you know what, J.B., the point's yours. I, I can't watch you do this. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, folks. I just I cannot watch this guy. I mean, uh, it, it can't mean that much to you. Just go over and hit it, man. I mean, it's just, you know, we've all been out there. I mean, I can't imagine watching some of these routines. Uh, you know, I'm Keegan Bradley a little bit too. It drives me crazy. The twirl and the in and out. It's like, God, am I, what is he doing? Would he just step in and hit the ball? I mean, you know, what? Why is this taking so long? Uh, I, I just, I have a little problem with that. I mean, yeah. it, it, it was painful to watch. You know, you're watching the President's Cup, man. I'd love to see how this ends, but I can't watch this five minute routine. You know, and then watch him chunk a chip. I just, you know. I I think they had to change the coverage three times on that chip on J.B. Holmes. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, I know it's playing for something. But geez, let's go. I'd change right. the pace of play. I really think you got to get strict on that. You know, manufacturers are always going to fool with things, and and I, you know, you you penalize. I I almost think there should be uh, two sets of rules. I mean, you you these poor club players. You know, we take away square grooves, and so they can't spin it. And the tour players know how to, you know, trap it and, you know, open it up and use the balance and slide it under it. And and they can still get away with creating different ways to create spin and loft. Now, the average player can't. So you take that away from them. Then you take away the long putter. And right. you know what? If if you're going to if you're gonna let some, you know, let's make it age-dependent, but, you know, there's a lot of older players that get the shakes and, you know, and, and we want to see them play. You know, I mean, we're trying to the PGA of America. I think PGA Professional. We're trying to grow the game. I'm not sure about some of the other organizations. They say they're protecting the game. Protecting it from what? A declining. You're protecting it from a declining number of players. That does not make sense. 
You, you're, yeah. you're doing things that you're doing things that are making it go the opposite direction. You're making less players, not more. So, you know, to me, I, you know, some guy needs to shake it over there with a long putter. Let him shake it over there. Who cares? Um, give him square grooves back. I don't. You, hell, make a ball that goes 400 yards for the amateurs. I mean, how much fun would that be, Chris? Think about it. You step up and blast this thing, and it goes 400 yards. You go, oh my God, that looked like Bubba Watson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's fun, isn't it? But no, what's yeah. he doing? He's, he's 180 yards. I mean, let's make the game fun again. I, you know, we're we're losing players. We know that. We've lost a million players a year for the last five years. We know that. Golf numbers yeah. are down. And you know, and you want to regulate it more? Hell, do whatever you want for the tour, but don't beat up on the poor amateurs. Where, and why is it, why aren't we hearing more people say that? You know, yeah. I mean, you're protecting him from who? Come on, please. Right. I don't get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I love to see a ball that could go 400 yards. I'd love to see it. <laughs> As would I. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? How far did you get it? 400 yards. Wasn't that cool? Yeah, it was cool. How fast is your swing speed? 82. You know, you saw these long drive knuckleheads on TV. That's a 150-mile-hour club speed. Come on. What's that? That's not the average player. Right. Shout-out to George Animal Slowski, too, for winning the uh, senior division. George, George is a good friend of mine. Worked with George a bunch. Uh, the Animal. You know, he's, he's, he's hilarious. He calls you on the phone. Hey, Eric, it's The Animal. Oh, hi, George. How you doing? You know, he calls himself by the animal. I love it. The animal. Hey, I'm, hi, George. How are you? That's great. <laughs> I think I threw him off every time I'd say hi, George. He goes, no, it's the animal. Okay. All right, animal. Whatever. <laughs> And you know, and Eric, you 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 mentioned penalties. You know, and I when I look, you know, golf rules feel to me like you know, like the recruiting rules in the NCAA. There are so many, some of which just sim- simply don't make any sense to me. Like you know, in golf, like the penalty you get issued if you address the ball in the green, and then the wind blows really hard and the ball moves. That that's a penalty, really. What was I supposed to do about that? You know, are, are there rules you think that the tour really needs to take another look at? Well, you know, I think they're doing. Yeah, I mean, you're always trying to you're always trying to improve upon the rules. And I, you know, I mean, I'd love to see him again. I'm not going to get in my soapbox again, but I'd love to see him do something about pace of play. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, this whole this whole call in thing bugs me. You know, I know yeah. they're trying to get it right, but you know, if you called in on football, you could find a hold or a clip or a you know something every single play. But we don't right. call in on the Super Bowl. But so why are we calling in on the the, the the show? You know, I think some of the things that you know a guy does a makes a mistake, an honest mistake. He didn't know, you know, whatever happened, and then someone calls in and he's penalized. I think that's nonsense. I mean, if the if you've got a rules official in every group walking with every group, if they don't spot it, then I don't think you should call in on the show. Uh, it's just my opinion. I mean. Now, I know you're trying to protect the field. I know you're trying to get it right. I got that. But you don't call in to baseball either. You don't call in on a soccer match. I mean, I'm sorry. You know, I just I think that sort of needs to – I think that kind of needs to get flushed. You know, I think that's a – I think that's a bad one. But, you know, I mean, the rest of them, you know, I mean, the rest of them, I think they're okay. I just, you know, I just don't know about this call-in thing. We've got uh, a couple more for you before we let you go, Eric. We've got our next guest, Sean McKeel, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Sean in just a moment. You know, let's talk a little bit about some of the tips that people can find on your website, ericjohnsongolf.com, as well as golf.com. Talk about the 12 rule and how we can use that to determine what type of pitch shot we need to hit. 
Yeah, that 12 rule, it sounds really complicated, but listen, I went to Mississippi State, and I've, if I can figure it out, everybody can. I'm telling you, so trust me on this. <laughs> one, one, each, each club rolls out a little bit more. Uh, so, you know, for example, if I was three paces off the green, I need to land at three paces. Well, I know that a nine iron rolls out three times more than it flies. So the simple ratio that it flies three, it's going gonna, it's gonna to roll nine. And, you know, people always say, you know, well, how do I know that? Well, I try to pace on to the green, you know, one, two, three paces where I need to land it, and then how far is the pin if it's nine? You divide the, you know, nine by three, and that's three. And then, you know, so people say, well, how, what do I know if I, get, if I have the ratio now? Let's say I paste it off and the ratio is a four-to-one ratio. Well, it's called the 12 rule for a reason, because if you take 12 minus four, it gives you eight, which is an eight iron. And then, you know, people say, well, what, what, what club goes, you know, a ratio of four? Well, 12 minus eight is four. That's the four ratio. So it adds to 12 always. You know, pitching wedge is going to be a 10. So that would roll two times more than it flies. Uh, seven iron would roll 12 minus seven is five. I'm a Mississippi Stater. I got my hands up here in front of me counting, but, you know, that's five. <laughs> you know, I, I can figure out it's going to roll five times more than it flies. So, you know, once you get an idea and baseline about that, it really helps people because I think most people, everyone goes up with a sandwich and then they try to chip it, you know, halfway across the green. And when you're trying to chip it something further away, it's harder to hit. So, you know, to me, I'm always trying to land one pace onto the green and then let it roll over to the hole. You know, so that's a that's a definition definition of a chip is it rolls more than it flies. So there's no reason on a chip to make it fly more than it rolls. There's no reason yeah. to pitch. You know, when you can right. you can putt it, putt it. Off green putting, you'll see that a lot at Oakmont. Whenever you can can't putt it, then we gotta chip it, and then it's not a chip, it's a pitch. There you go. Great stuff. Thank you for that. And one more before we let you go. And Eric, you know, the weakest part of my game is, is a bunker shot. My buddies will tell you those shots scare me to death. What's something simple that I and our listeners can do to help us get out of the bunkers more consistently with the, uh, a chance to save par? Well, you know, you gotta, you know, you'll see on my website, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a bunker drill. And I always say, listen, you know, think about it like it's a pancake and there's an egg on the top. Worst thing that you can do is hit the egg. You don't want to get egg on your face, right? So use the bounce, hit the sand. The other thing that's so important in a bunker shot was I see most people in a bunker shot hitting further and further and further behind the golf ball. And they think, well, I hit the ball coming, so I must have hit it on the downswing. No, you're hitting it on the up because you're leaning back trying to help it up. You've got plenty of loft on those sand wedges anymore. There's even 64-degree sand wedges. So... You know, the more you can open up the face and get that bounce, that you got plenty of loft. But, you know, I'd love to draw one big straight line in the in a bunker, and I have try, people trying to hit as close to that line as they can do it. And then put a ball out in front of the line and say, hit the same line. And you'll be amazed that people will start hitting their foot behind the ball. You know, so you've got to hit, you know, a couple inches behind the golf ball, draw that line, you know, thinking, you know, throwing that pancake of sand onto the green, if you do that, it will come out. The, the, the bunker shot should be the easiest shot in golf because we have the most margin for error. You can hit a little behind it. You can hit a lot behind it. If that sand moves the ball out, it's out. You know, so, I mean, mm-hmm. you shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't be panicked over that. Most people panic, try to help it, and lean back. 
There you go. That's yeah, that's me. Eric, before before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can find you both online and over social media. Well, you can see me on uh, ericjohnsongolf.com. I have a Twitter account. I don't do much with it, unfortunately. I'm going to start here. Uh, I'm a little bit in the Stone Ages, but I'm going to you know, get going on that. and Look for the big U.S. Open preview in June issue of Golf Magazine. It's going to be a big one. we got a lot of cool stuff in there. And Chris, I just want to thank you for having me, and I want to say to all the men and women out there, you know, keep fighting our noble cause. You know, stay safe. You know, shoot straight. If those, you know, knuckleheads out there want to say anything bad about the United States of America, I hope they meet one of those, our men and women face-to-face, and we'll let them sort it out. But uh, it's a great country, and keep doing what you're doing, fight the fight. There you go. Eric, thank you for saying that. And I've I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You're You're, you're one of the guys that uh, I really enjoy having so much fun with you on the show. You make it every time you come on the show. It's it's a great time, and the, the segment flies by, and it did again this morning. Thank you for taking time out of your morning, Eric, to be a part of the show. I hope you'll come back and do it again real soon. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Chris, you did a heck of a job. I don't know where you get some of that stuff on these uh, intros, too. You, you amaze me every time on that. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> tell Sean Bye, to I send my best, and uh, tell him his boy Doug Barron and I played on the team together. And, and uh, I, I'm keeping up with Doug a little bit on Facebook and seeing him. It's pretty cool. So good luck to Sean. He's a good right. man. Yeah, indeed he is. Thanks so much, Eric. We look forward to catching up with you again real soon. In the meantime, all the best to you and your family, my friend. Thanks, Chris. You too, bud. See you later. All right. Take care, Eric. Bye-bye. That's Eric Johnson again. EricJohnsonGolf.com. Great stuff, folks. So so many great lessons that uh, he can take you through and help you in all different parts of your game. And that 12 rule is fantastic, and it's, uh, that certainly has helped me with uh, with my chipping game. All right, uh, we're going to get to our next guest, Sean McKeel, on the other side of this message from our friends over at the French Lick Resort. You just can't beat this weather. The leaves are starting to change. It's the perfect time to get away to French Lick Resort and play the courses the champions play. This year, the Pete Dye course at French Lick has hosted the Senior PGA Championship and the Legends of the LPGA Championship. Play our Donald Ross course and feel like 1924 PGA champion Walter Hagen. Fall is the perfect time to play the courses the champions play at French Lick Resort. Book our Hall of Fame package now at FrenchLick.com. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. All right, now back with me to answer more of your questions on the Seymour Putters guest line is our friend and 2003 PGA champion, Sean McKeel. Hey, Sean, how are you this morning, my friend? Great, Chris. How are you doing this morning? Uh, Really well, thank you. Good. So, so, Sean, be- before we get to our questions this week, I, g- I got to get your take on the University of Memphis football team. For any of our first-time listeners joining us today, you live just outside of Memphis. You do some work with the University of Memphis golf team. Their football team, 7-0. and They just beat Tulsa 66-42, to and their quarterback, Braxton Lynch, you know, 447 yards, four touchdowns. What's the buzz around Memphis like for a team that, you know, quietly last year finished 10-3 and and kind of – snuck into the top yeah. 25 at number 25 and now they could find themselves this week inside the top 50. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they're definitely they've uh, they've been trending in the right direction for a couple of years. You know, coach Fuente, um, of course, he came from TCU and and uh, is really starting to build, you know, build something great. I mean, it's fun. It really is. I mean, we read the Ole Miss game last week and um you know, that was really exciting for the program and for the fans. 
Um, you know, my, my grandfather, well, Stephanie's grandfather, um, bought tickets to the Memphis games uh, when the Liberty Bowl first opened in 1965. So we've had the same seats, or our family has had the same seats, you know, for what, you know, 40-some years now. Um, well, I guess it's almost 50 years. Anyway, yeah. Uh, and uh, so we've supported the program, you know, through thick and thin, and it's nice to see uh, some of the great things that are happening to them. I mean, you know, last night's game was good. I mean, they're putting up the points, but – uh, you know, the defense, there were a lot of penalties. The defense gave up a lot of points. Although, you know, Tulsa, I think Tulsa put up 600 yards on Oklahoma this year. So Tulsa can play. Um, college football is exciting now. Um, you know, the old style of football that Nebraska used to play where they just ran it every single down and just challenged you to stop them. I think that's really, it's gone by the wayside. I think you still still hear about the running game and stuff like that. And fortunately for Memphis, you know, Paxton can throw, he can run. We've got three or four running backs that, that we can choose from, um, different plays, different lineups, different formations. It's fun to watch, and uh, I'm excited for them. Um, you know, the tough time is going to come ahead here before, before too long when, um, you know, South Carolina's got some availability there. At coach, and <laughs> Hopefully we can find a way to keep Justin here. Um you know, money is a huge consideration. You know, being in a top-level program in a top-level conference probably is where all these guys want to be. Um, unless, you know, unless we can get into a, uh, you know, a power five, um, you know, it might be tough to keep him. But um, I think there's a couple teams leaving the Big 12 this year, so um, that might we might have an opportunity because Memphis is a, is a really good academic school. Stephanie, Stephanie graduated from law school there. Um but uh, it's exciting. It really is. And uh, we enjoy we enjoy going to all the games. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, it is, you know, in Memphis, you know, University of Memphis or Memphis University, uh, you know, yeah. for, for so many years has been known more as a basketball school. And, I, you know, they've you know, mm-hmm. certainly had so many great players and, and, and done so well, you know, on the basketball side. It sure is nice to see, uh, you know, the football program start to get a little attention and uh, start to play really well. And, and uh, yeah, I hate yeah. the fact that, you know, the, a school like Memphis that has, you know, struggled for so many years on the football side finally start to make some headway. And, you know, like I said, had a good season last year, going to have another good season this year. I sure hope that, that he doesn't leave to take another job somewhere else. And, you know, yeah. the school takes, you know, a whole bunch of steps backwards because he's built something really good. It would be nice for for the school and for the city to have you know be excited all year round by having a really good. I mean, they have a great basketball team on the NBA side. So professionally, yeah. that program or that you know team, whatever you want to call it, you know, has, has certainly elevated its play with the Memphis Grizzlies and that sort of thing. But to be able to back yeah. that up with a good college basketball and a good college football program is just going to do wonders for the city. Yeah, you know the um, the basketball program is interesting really how, how everything's kind of shifted around here because Memphis for the longest time, you know, Stephanie, uh, Dana Kirk, which was, he passed away in 2010, um, was kind of the, the, the coach that everybody looked up to as far as basketball. And the tradition really, you know, carried on through Coach Calipari, who left a few years ago, and, and Coach Pastner, Um you know, I, I don't know if, if Coach Pastner's uh, days are numbered here in Memphis, but I can tell you that basketball, which was number one, uh, you know, in attendance for sports here in Memphis, 
is probably now number three. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the Grizzlies have had had some uh, a really really strong years. Fans are really getting interested in in what they're doing. Um, you know, Dave Yeager has built a great a great program there. Um, it's fun. It, it, look, people aren't always NBA fans because of some of the some of the things that have kind of gone on. But I think that Adam Silver and uh, has done a good job of cleaning up the NBA a little bit. Um, but someone put out an interesting tweet last year, um, and uh, it was basically directed right at Josh Pastner, and it was, uh, "Hey, Josh, thanks for turning Memphis into a football school." Um, you know, which was pretty harsh, but and I think that's the reality of the situation. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we gave up our basketball tickets, uh, you know, for, for several reasons. Um, you know, they're having a big day today that what they'll call Memphis Madness um, is going on today where the fans get a chance to go down to the, the FedEx Forum and, and do those and meet the team and, uh, you know. But um, it's um, – basketball teams – really struggling and um you know but it's exciting it's an exciting time for football mm-hmm. all right sean let's get into into uh these this week's questions from from our listeners for you we've we've talked in the past about how you're you're not very superstitious but our first question this week is do you have an old faithful putter that sort of comes and goes from your bag that you go back to regularly after you've maybe tried out the newest latest and greatest putter um, I, I suppose so. I mean, I was thinking about this uh, the other day. Um, I had back in 2010, uh, and of course, you know, I've changed over the years. Uh, you know, when I was younger, the B, the paying B60, um, putter was, was my, was my choice. Um, and I used it for a long, long time. And, um, I think all of us kind of get to different looks and things like that. But back in 2010, I had decided to make a, a putter switch. I've really kind of gotten into heel shafted putters and uh, I kind of struggled a little bit and wasn't, wasn't doing very well and just wanted something, uh, just a different look. So I found this putter that Odyssey had made. It was called uh, a backstrike and it's, 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 it's almost a, it's an onset um, putter where the shaft kind of comes in behind the face and sets the face you know, in front of the the weight of the, the backside of the putter. And it's just really, really unusual looking. And I think at the time I just kind of decided, hey, if I'm going to change putters, I'm going to go something that's that's really pretty drastic. And I like the way that it, it's set up. It's, it's, it's called a stroke balance putter. You know, if you lay the putter in your fingers, you have face balance where the face is, you know, pointing straight up. And then you'll have quarter hang and half hang and stuff like that. And I always like kind of a half hang or a quarter quarter hang putter. Um, and what does that so mean? What's that? What, what do you mean by hang? Okay, for, well, for if you just lay the putter, yeah, if you just lay the putter in your hand, just hold your hand out and hold the putter, uh, you know, kind of its balance point where it's you know parallel to the ground. Um, if the if the face of the putter hang is looking straight up at the sky, like where the the part that you impact, that's face balance. If the toe hangs a little bit, you know, um, towards the ground, you know, uh, a full uh, heel shafted putter the putter is going to hang pretty much straight down to the ground. Uh, Or a quarter hang, you'll have the the toe hanging just a quarter way to the ground, you know, 30, 40 degrees, something like that. And all the putters are designed based on where the shaft lines up with the center of the putter. So you can have putters that are offset, yet have quarter hang, or offset putters that you think all these that are face balanced. So it's all where the, the, the center line of the shaft comes into the center part of the putter if you drew a line 
line of extension down to the putter where it basically comes in. So, but the other day I went back to the back strike. Um, I'd gone away from it, you know, for probably the last six, seven months. Um, well, yeah, that's about right. Six or seven months. I went to another Odyssey tank cruiser that they had, they had made for me with a quarter toe hang. And, um, I used it in the PGA, but then the other day I kind of just went back to my backstrike putter and, and, um, you know, for me, it, it, it's a really unusual putter. I, I think of, um, Tommy Ganey, I think uses one. Um, the one I use is a, is a, it's called a marksman and, um, they make two or three different styles of it. And I don't think they, they make it anymore, but, um, you know, I, I've kind of gone back to that. Um, you know, so I don't look at it as superstition. I look at it as just sometimes you just want a different look, and um, it's okay to do that. I, I'm not, I've never really been one to, um, to kind of panic about changing putters and how it felt. Now, you know, if you go from a center shafted putter to a heel shafted putter, you have to understand that, one, the look's different, but also the way that the club rotates um, opens up going back. I mean, it's, it, it's a... It's a tough feeling for some people to get, but after a couple of days, you can kind of, kind of get a feel for it. Mm-hmm. And, Sean, we get so many questions every week about your health, and you've been great to address those questions. This week we had about a half dozen questions about yeah. the heart conditions that you've been dealing with. One in particular uh, was centered around uh, the, the, the writer's father saying that he was lamenting or having come off of a heart attack about being able to walk the golf course anymore and the the question is is walking golf you know walking in golf a good thing or a bad thing when you're coming off uh, a heart condition issue uh well you know certainly certainly you have to have to see your doctor on that one but you know i think you know for me i didn't have a heart attack i mean i was i think i was probably pretty close and i think walking and being in decent shape really probably saved me from that um you know, from having a heart attack just because I was fortunate and I did find out that I had formed um, some collateral arteries. But, you know, walking, is, it's great for you. Um, you know, it kind of keeps everything everything moving around and, and everything. But um, Was know, it hard for you to get back out and start to, you know, start walking the golf course again after, you know, after the issue it, that you went through? Oh, it took me, I think it took me a little while, but I'll tell you, after having the, the stents put in, I mean, I felt so much better. I mean, I just, I felt like I could do all the things that I could do before because I was struggling with, um, well, I was struggling with just walking up a flight of stairs, you know, carrying my kids around. And um, it was really quite unusual that, that uh, I basically went from, having symptoms to being on the operating table. Um, I didn't have any time where I spent like, wow, what's that? You know, I didn't spend a year or two wondering why I was out of breath. And that's what I thought was really kind of, kind of funny about everything. Cause I was still exercising and, and it was only kind of every once in a while that I felt the symptoms, but um, it's difficult. It, it, it's scary. Um, you know, I think about it uh, just about every day about my heart and um, you know, whether or not this is going to be the one thing that, that, uh, um, gets me in the end, um, you know. So every every single day when I have to take my six pills, I, I it, it just reminds me of of all the stuff that I've kind of been through. And um, you know, there's a lot of articles being uh, published now about stenting, um, you know, versus uh, bypass surgery and and the statin drugs. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. And maybe I'm just a little bit more in tune to it. But it, it's scary for everybody that has, has a heart condition. But certainly, 
being out there and being as active as you can be, um, you know, I think will is is good. It's good for you. Mm-hmm. And the other question around health that we got this week, Sean, was around your diet. Do you have a do you have a special diet, and I don't think this has to do with with the heart condition or anything. But is there yeah. is there a special diet or particular foods that you eat? You know, before a tournament, night before a tournament, to help give you energy during during the next round, and do you eat during the round? Yeah, well, certainly, uh, you know, certainly when I'm out playing, and, and uh, I mean, it all starts really with breakfast. I mean, uh, you know, I eat a very light breakfast, and uh, typically that's what I do anyway. Um, no heavy meals, no breads, um, no toast, anything like that uh, before I go. So play. you're not I try carving to have up. Like a, no, I, you know, I don't. I mean, I think you look at that maybe in other sports more active, maybe football, maybe basketball, maybe swimming, uh, those types of things that, you know, that, you know, guys will eat pasta and stuff like that to try to get, right. you know, get that energy stored up. Uh, but no, nothing like that. I mean, that's the worst feeling is to go out there and feel heavy. You know, you want to feel light on your feet out there, even as a golfer. Um, you know, so usually in the morning before I play, it's yogurt um, and some fruit. Um, and that, and that's about it. I mean, I might have one piece of bacon or one, one sausage just to get a little bit of protein. Um, and, you know, and dinner is the same thing. You try not to eat a lot of heavy foods the night before. Um, you know, which is usually, it's funny too, because when I get on the road, I, I lose weight. <laughs> Everybody thinks that when you get on the <laughs> road, right? you're going to gain weight because you're eating it. Yeah, yeah I know. Cause you, you think you're going to get out there and you're going to, uh, and you're going to, uh, you know, be eating out every night. But the one thing about eating out is, it's your choice on what you eat. You know, you can go to go to a, a fine steak place and get you a nice steak and a baked potato and all that stuff sounds great, but that's definitely not uh, not what you want to be, uh, you know, ingesting prior to uh, trying to play play golf. I mean, it's okay every once in a while, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I suppose since my heart thing, you know, I, I I'm a little bit more cautious on eating salads and and olive oil and stuff like that. Um, but I think it just becomes a habit if you if you start start eating an In and Out burger every day or Five Guys or whatever whatever they are, you know those are bad things for you. Um, yeah. You know, especially if you're going to try to play around the golf. But you know, I think you know just whatever you know whatever um, you know that's light that's available. You know, I'll come in and have a salad for lunch um, with some chicken or something like that. But um, try to stay away from a lot of the fried stuff. And most of the times, to be honest, have, have uh, really really cautious with that um you know and that's probably changed um over the years i I recall one time sitting down at charlotte and this is this has been probably eight ten years ago and uh a player walked in and he had like i'm I'm telling you he was on this carb thing all carbs and he had i'm telling you at least 15 15 pieces of bacon on his plate and a pile of eggs and i thought man this this is a it's not exactly what happened. So, uh, anyway, it was just kind of funny. But um, the tournaments have done a good job. But, but uh, I, I still like to, I still like to eat things. I mean, we all we all have our things that we like, our vices and and things like that. But I think when you're playing golf, you just you know you you uh, you understand kind of what what's going to get you going through the day. And and certainly we do eat during the round. Um, you know, I like almonds and raisins. I like I like to mix. Um, I go to the to whatever grocery store, and Stephanie does a good job. She gets me uh, raisins and almonds, and and I chew on those. They're they're heart healthy snacks too, but but give you a little bit of protein and everything. So, 
Um, I usually have those in my bag and, you know, there's, there's bars and, um, you know, things like that. Um, energy drinks, you know, you see a lot of the guys now that are carrying the amino vital, um, bottles and stuff with the powders and there's different, different things for, uh, electrolytes and especially when it's hot out in the summertime, you know, in the summertime, it's, you know, you're not very hungry anyway. So you, you might find other ways to, you know, replenish some of the things you're losing, but, um, you know, and it's like I said, the termites do a great job with putting fruit and apples and bananas and and other things out there for for people to snack on. You're out there for five hours. You know, I heard Eric talking about JB Holmes and how slow he is. Um, you know, you're out there for five hours, and and uh, it takes a while. Uh, you, you need something, you know. So most yeah. guys at a time, it, you know. So I'm eating all the time, and. Of course, if you saw my golf bag too, I love snacks. I mean, I, I don't know. I've got all sorts of like candy in my bag, which is probably not good. But um, <laughs> you know, I kind of got the nickname the Snack Man out there on the beach. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, just kind of open up. I got I got gobstoppers. I got atomic fireballs. I've got lightsabers. Oh I've got I've got all sorts of things in my bag. I don't know. I just, I'm not just like the, you know, some guys chew gum. I, I've got gum in there too. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of funny. But, you know, you get bored out there too, and I think that's bad. It's kind of like when you're sitting around the house, people eat when they're bored. I, I think that's right. kind of what I do. I snack on when I'm bored. <laughs> the next, the next couple of questions, Sean, are, are around the golf ball, and the, this next one is: How often do you change golf balls in the course of a round? Not because you lost it but because maybe you feel like it's out of round or whatever. Oh, yeah, you just have to change them a lot more. I'm of that generation where, uh, you know, a little bit of a thin shot or or maybe a nice crisp wedge off a tight lie, you know, used to tear the balls up. Um, but now it, it's uh, – you know, some guys are superstitious with that. Ernie else changes after every birdie. Uh, I don't know. I kind of look at the ball um, – you know, if it's a little discolored or maybe just has, a, a you know, a, mis, a, a marking from a shot or a tree. Uh, I don't worry so much of, about it ever being out around. I just like a nice, nice white ball out there. So yeah. if it has discoloration on it, I'll get rid of it. Um, and Ernie changes yeah, after every it, birdie? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. He really? I think I'd keep one that one in play. If I bogeyed ball. it, I could see, right? Get rid of the bogey ball. Yeah. <laughs> so he believes that only one ball, and he probably does that too. I don't know his caddy. I don't know how many balls he carries, but but he, he, you know, for a long time, or he's made a lot of birdies. But um, you know, I, were you I saying just, he only uh, thinks there's one bird? There's only one birdie in every ball. Is that where you were going? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what he says. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. So I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming he still does that, but but uh, it's pretty unusual. Um, but, you know, guys. Yeah, if if. Um, I've, I've thrown, I don't know how many balls I've thrown away in trash cans, woods. I mean, you know, if I'm just fed up with it, I'll get rid of it. I mean, I'm too afraid. See, the thing about me and superstition is I'm too afraid to get to become superstitious because then if I forget to do something, then it's going to, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a snowball that just kind of gets out of control. So, um, but yeah, it just, Mismarking, or 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 if uh, you know something happens, you know I use most of us use sharpie on our ball. If you get a get a uh, get the mark in a certain spot and you rip the paint off and it just drags across the ball, you know you'll change the ball and stuff like that. But um, 
I don't know. I just kind of get rid of it when I want to get rid of it. Um, definitely after a bad haul, though. <laughs> I mean, if I do something bad, right. it's, it's gone. It's gone. It's either going to somebody in the crowd or it's – and usually they don't want it either. So I'm like, <laughs> Is that right? Did you throw it back? <laughs> no, I, it's kind of like it's kind of like a home run ball at, at somebody else's park. They throw it back on right. the field. I mean, unless it's a, unless it's in a World Series or something like that, where sure somebody wants to keep it. But and I'm like, I don't. If I do something really bad with a ball, it usually goes into the garbage can. And um, <laughs> you know, because I don't want to give somebody a ball that is made a you know double bogey with, because they're gonna be like, oh, this guy, oh, I don't want a double bogey ball. So, um, so no. I, if I if I do something bad, I won't I won't give a ball. Uh, you know, I may I may if there's no trash can around, I may give it to my caddy and he'll stick it in the bag. And then after I've calmed down, I may at the end of the round, you know, hand it out and stuff like that. But anyway, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty funny, pretty crazy out there. Uh, I want to ask you the same question I asked Eric Johnson a little bit ago. We we saw Jason Day hitting drives 385 yards at you know at the PGA Championship this year, which you were at. And, you know, Bubba Watson hit mm-hmm. a drive that you know was 404 yards. You know, and we actually went through the green on uh, on on 13 there at Whistling Street. It, you know, it, is it time for the PGA to kind of step in and dial the distance back that the balls are flying because it's getting ridiculous? You know, at this point, for how far? If I mean, I know chicks dig the long ball and all, but do we need to yeah. bring that back so it's not just re, you know it's not goofy golf out there? Yeah, it's got it's I don't know it's gotten crazy. Um, you know, maybe I've changed my tune a little bit as I've gotten kind of older. But um, yeah, what they were doing, I mean, you know, Jason Day on Sunday hit what pitching wedge into number eleven, the par five, and a lot of that is just due to the wind the firm conditions, and just the setup of the hole in general. Um, same with Bubba Watson. You're getting a down off the left wind, which is a hook wind for him on 13. Um, and if you carry it out there, 285, 290, the last 100 yards is downhill. So there's some of that in there. Um, but, yeah, I suppose it's, 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 gotten, it's gotten too much. I mean, the guys are fit, um, the technology. It's not all about the ball, Um you know, I would say the majority of it is. There are so many limits. What's interesting is that the limits in the drivers with the MOI and, um, you know, the moving the weight towards the face um, and everything, I mean, there's lots of technologies. TaylorMade's got a new driver out that's all carbon. It's three-quarters carbon, one-quarter, uh, you know, titanium, I guess, where they move all the weight forward. So there's a lot of things like that. Um, so I don't know if it's all the golf ball or it's just a combination of, the fitness, uh, the swing speeds, the technology, um, you know, and I don't know where it is, but, you know, they've, they've just come out and, and announced that, you know, 15 years ago this week was when the Pro V1 came out, and I was a game changer. I remember because I finished third or fourth in Vegas, Billy Andrade won. He was, the, I think he was the first winner um, at, at, uh, with a Pro V1. Um, that was a game changer. I mean, even after that, you know, when it first came out, Nick Price had talked about lining the ball up on the scene. Um, you know, um, people were finding ways to use the golf ball. Um, different cores, you know, the thin, the thinner covers with the harder cores. Then you have, you know, for – so there's a lot of things out there. But I suppose it's probably time. But how do you do it? I mean, I don't really know how you, how you regulate it. I did notice on the long drive championship the other night, I think all the guys were using top flight balls. Um, so, you know, they were all, you have, you know, having to use, now they had different drivers, different lengths, different lofts, those, those types of things, but 
they all had to use one ball. I don't ever see that happening. But um, I don't know. I mean, where do you where do you regulate it? Maybe that's the next thing on the USG's the USGA's hit list. You know, they've they've taken away the long putter starting here in January. Um, I suspect that they're, they're they've been looking at things like that um, and how a rule change could be implemented to to dial the golf ball back. Um, it's always fun to hit the ball long, but you know, even when I go to my golf course that I grew up on, I mean, I'm 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 in places that that I never used to be. Um, and so, Is that right? yeah, I mean, so it's, uh, uh, you know, it's really kind of taken away from the golf course design. You know, players are able to, to take it over corners that they weren't able to take it over. You know, the, the, the launch angles with these drivers, you're seeing guys now using 11, 12 degree drivers, which you didn't, you never saw when you had a softer ball. Now you have to have, more loft unless you've got swing speed in the 120s and up. Um, you know, my driver's probably at 10 and a half. I've used as much as 12 degrees um, to try to get the extra height with the golf balls because they just don't spin anymore. And I love spin. Um, you know, it's always something that I've um, felt good about because I like to move the ball around a little bit, and it's just it's just difficult um, you know, to get the ball up in the air uh, without really changing your technique and your swing. And that's kind of what I have to do to get the ball up in the air, it seems like. Um, so without changing a whole lot, I, as I said, you know, I loft up uh, mm. to try to get the ball a little bit higher. It, you know, but, I mean, where do you start? I don't, I don't, I don't know where you would start, but it's, it's kind of gotten obscene, um, you know, with some of these. And I think also it's uh, not that these guys aren't good players. I mean, they are. Um, they're great with the technology. Um, but I think when the balls don't spin as much with as high a swing speed as they have, they can't have a ball that spins too much or they would never be able to keep it online. Um, uh-huh. So I think that, that some of these guys are able to play great golf because of the technology. Um, you know, times change. You know, my technology was different than what, you know, some of the guys, all the guys that were playing in the 70s and early 80s. I mean, the technology has changed. But the right. golf ball has probably, you know, been one of the biggest, um, you know, advancements, you know, in the game. I mean, you could argue that mm-hmm. with the drivers and, and, the, and the club heads and the different ways that they try to move weight around and, and lower the CG. I mean, it's just they've spent so much money in R&D. Um, it'd be hard to go back because, I, um, you know, I don't know what the USGA can do to um, kind of outspend – you know, the lobbyists with the golf industry because they certainly right. don't want to see anything going back. You know, they spent too much money in getting these things done. I mean, there was there was a lot done with the technology, and, and Phil Mickelson got pretty heated with the USGA um, Callaway when they when, when they had gotten rid of square grooves and they had limited the, the distance between the grooves um, and the, just the size of the grooves. Callaway had come up with a wedge that conformed to the rule of the USGA um, in the dimensions and the size and the spacing and everything else, but their ball spun more than any other club could. Well, then they then the USGA decided, well, the spirit of the rule was to try to limit the spin. Um, well, they forced Callaway to change um, the way that new design was which I don't know if it went to court or if they just, you know, I don't really know, remember what happened with that. But um, 
And so the Callaway has more grooves on their wedges than any other any other company. Um, mm-hmm. They look they funny in the beginning, um, and that was their way of, of just adding more grooves to the face. Right. So, yeah. Um, People will get injured, that. right? Yeah, well, you know, that's what you got to do. I mean, you know, people are just trying to find ways to, right. you know, as Eric said earlier, that they've taken away the long putter, they've taken away the square grooves. And um, so companies are trying to find ways to, to get the ball to spin more. But the problem is they want more distance. And I don't know what they want more. Do they want more distance or do they want guys to be able to have playability around the green? And so those are the two things that I look for in a golf ball, which leads me back to preferring more spin. Um, you know, some people just want to bomb it and they figure, well, you know what? I don't really need to worry about spin because I'm going to have a wedge into every green. And that's the case for some of these guys, J.B. Holmes, Bubba Watson, Jason Day. I mean, Rory McIlroy, all these kids hit it so far that they're not having to worry about having to spin an eight or nine iron into some of these greens. So, um, it's, I think, I think the game's just, it's, it's just going in a different direction. And, um, than from what I'm used to and want to see out there. Um, fans, I guess, are getting younger. They want to see the long, the long hitter. They want to see, um, you know, guys, uh, you know, hitting wedges into the greens, making tons of birdies. But you know, hitting shots out of the trees is a lost art because, you know, nobody hits it in there anymore. So, um, you know, they'll figure it out. But uh, uh, I suspect that um, you know the USGA has been thinking about this for a long time. You know, Jack Nicklaus has been the biggest proponent. Right. Uh, kind of dialing back the golf ball, and it hasn't happened. So I guess he doesn't have a big enough voice um, out there. Sean, so a couple of other questions before we let you go this week. And, and um, I gave a shout-out at the, at the beginning of the show to my father, made a sixth hole-in-one this year at his home course on the opposite side mm. of the state from you. He's now in Ottawa, Tennessee, just outside of Chattanooga. Yeah. But curious yeah. for you, you know, hole-in-ones. How many have you made, and in, in, in when was the first one? Uh, I've made 11, I think. And I only wow. – I, I can't count all 11. Um, I just know that – I just – the last hole-in-one that I made was in um, – was in – let's see, I was playing with Todd Hamilton and Alex Cheka at the qualifying school a couple years ago um, out in Palm Springs. But my first hole-in-one – um, I grew up at Colonial Country Club, which is where Al Guyberger shot his 59. I lived right. on the fourth green. And the fifth hole is a par three. And um, so when I was younger, I used to go up in the summertime, you know, after kind of everybody had gone through. And I used to play – I used to be able to play five, six, and then two, three, four. It was a little circle that came right back to my house. And uh, I was just up there. I think I was – I think I might have been in college. Um and I went up there and, and and just teed off a number five, and the first ball that I put down, I uh, hit a five iron, you know, in the hole. So that was my first hole in one. Uh, no one witnessed it. Um, oh. Uh, but yeah, no, it was just it was just one of those nights that I just went up, grabbed my bag, and went up behind my house and, and just teed off and was going to play my little five hole stretch there. And um, so yeah, nobody saw it, but. Um, you know, I've had a couple of holes in ones in PGA Tour events. Um, you know, but uh, I had a what double was the most exciting US one? Open. If you played in a tour. Which, what was the most exciting one for you? Uh, well, you know, I had one in 2002 at the BC Open. We had uh, 
come back. I think we'd had a rain delay, and uh, I made a hole-in-one on, I think it was Saturday, of the BC Open in O2 at Endicott, which is now a Champions Tour event. I think it's the Dick Sporting Goods Open. And it was an event that I should have won. I had to end up having a three-shot lead going the last day and at the Bowie's last two holes to finish third. But, um, you know, that was pretty exciting because I had I had uh, I was in line to set the scoring record. I think I shot 67, 65, 65, I think. And, um, you know, so that was, that was pretty exciting. Um, I made one um, at the Sony Open in 2011 on 17. And... Um, I was playing with uh, Charles Ward and Dave Eichelberger, of all people. Uh, you know, Dave was, lives in Hawaii or lives in Hawaii. And uh, I remember making on 17, and I thought everybody was like, oh, you're going to get a bunch of Sony stuff, and I got nothing. <laughs> really? <laughs> and, and it was the same thing in, it was the same thing in, 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 in New York. They had a, had a nice brand-new Buick car sitting there on their 17th hole, and it was just there for display. I didn't, I didn't get anything. Um, really? Really? So, no, no, didn't get anything for that one either, and uh, which is okay. But you know, now you see, like in Europe, on every par three, there's a there's a there's a BMW i8. I've seen people have won, so I don't think I've I've never gotten anything for one of the holes in one that I've made during wow. during play at a PGA Tour event. So I just kind of picked the wrong holes, I guess. But uh, yeah, they're also memorable too. They really are. Um, yeah. You know, my double e- my double eagle probably stands out more than any other. Uh, the double that, right? that I made in the U.S. Open in 2010, yeah, on Sunday at Pebble Beach. Um, it stands out probably more than any anything else that I've done, um, other than maybe the first hole-in-one. Um, you know, to, to do something like that in the U.S. Open, there's only been three. You know, T.C. Chen made right. one, and I made one, and, and uh, Nick Watney made one. Now, Nick's was like a seven iron or something like that on a par five at, at uh Oh, it was at the Olympic Club, I think, a couple of years ago. So not diminishing, it's still a double eagle, but, you know, mine was some 240 yards out, and I think, um, you know, uh, T.C. Chen's, I think he had a three-wood in. So, but, yeah, those. That, I mean, that stands out more for me, I think, than anything else, just the circumstances and just the kind of the coolness factor of it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and really only having three guys ever to do it in the U.S. Open um, is something else that I remember. But, uh, yeah, you know, um but um, we all have we all have memorable things. I think so. I think the double eagle stands out more, but and the and the first first hole in one stands out. A couple more here on and 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 on both sides of the coin, a positive question and question. So let's get the negative one out first. And you know, you know, I do a another show on the football side called Thursday Night Tailgate, and we get the opportunity mm-hmm. to talk to current and former NFL players and and. One guys that we had on earlier this year is actually going to be joining us again in a couple of weeks His former first round pick Akili Smith who played quarterback at Oregon and was later drafted by the Bengals and someone went on his Facebook page and 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 said how does it feel to be one of the all-time biggest busts and and I love his response because I thought it was great and he said you know what I was one of the you know one percent of the people on the planet that gets to play my sport my profession at the highest level and that felt great Mm -hmm. You know, along those lines, you know, our next question is, you know, Sean, in today's world of social media, people don't always put out there the nicest things. Has anyone ever, you know, said something to you that you had to deal with that was unkind? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, I certainly got a lot of that. Not so much, not so much anymore as I just have kind of been off the tour for a while. But um, I think what, uh, you know, I, I certainly heard a lot of stuff and a lot of it really pertained to, 
you know, I usually get the one-hit wonder, and and uh, that was really the flash in the pan type of thing. I think one of the most mean-spirited things was um, really affected all of us, uh, the guys that won the majors in 2003, when, you know, kind of Hall of Fame sports writer Dan Jenkins, uh, I hate giving him props. I hate even mentioning his name, to be honest with you, is uh, he wrote uh, that the 2003 majors were the worst majors uh, for the winners, but not only the winners, but for the guys that were runners-up. Um, and here we're talking about, you know, Hall of Famer, uh, you know, Jim Furyk winning his U.S. Open, you know, Mike Weir, who has struggled with health issues, um, you know, as of late. Um, you know, he just basically uh, kind of berated us and, and determined for himself that that the 03 were maybe the worst worst ma- year for majors. Um, but uh, that was more on a, on a national because he put that out there in a lot of places. And, uh, you know, look, when you're out there playing golf uh, or any other sport, um, you know, your goal is to go out there and win. I mean, that's what you want to do. I mean, history, it, 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 just because you're playing in a major, the, the champion is not reserved for just the named guys. I mean, if you're in the field, you might, you, you're, you're there to try to win the, try to win the event. Um, which is which is what I did. I mean, um, you know, it wasn't like the PGA of America or CBS Sports, you know, had a had a wheel with with everybody's name in it, and mine just happened to get picked out and say, oh well, we're going to have Sean McKeel win this event. Anybody that watched and knows anything about the O3 PGA knows that I led with about the last three or four holes to go on Friday, so I slept on the lead Friday. And I slept on the lead Saturday. I never lost the lead, you know, from from that day on. So when I won the tournament, I did not only deserve to win, I did all of the other things, too, that, um, you know, determined the outcome. Um, yeah. Now, I had a difficult time. I think I've had a difficult time subsequent to that. And, then, and maybe more people write about that and say things about why I wasn't able to follow follow that up. But, I mean, in 2004, I had a pretty good year. The biggest thing for me um, that really affected is three months after I won, you know, I became a father. And my son, Dave, is only, it'll be 12 in, in less than a month. And, um, you know, that was one of the biggest changes for me is trying to handle the the newfound fame, I think, of winning a PGA championship, winning a major championship, and then becoming a father. I mean, you want to talk about a life changer. Um, You know, so there were a lot of things kind of being thrown at me at one time. You know, I I take solace in the fact that, that, uh, you know, I mean, there are how many people on the PGA Tour play an entire career and never even win? Um, You know, the list goes on and on. And I've certainly been in position to win, and and I've acknowledged the fact that I probably should have won a couple times before my PGA, particularly the 2002 BC Open. I mean, I should have won that tournament. And I didn't. Um, but it was difficult. I, I, I just had such a tough time. Uh, I knew that I was in a different different era, a different level, um, that I was going to have to try to validate validate that win. And I knew from the very next day how difficult that was going to be for me. I remember uh, Greg Norman uh, coming up to me at the, at the Sharp Shootout. Chad Campbell and I got paired together, and actually we lost in the playoff there. We probably should have won that event. 
Um, but Greg came up to me, that, you know, when I got on property and said, hey, Sean, I just want to welcome you to the club. Now, I uh, I knew what he meant. And uh, it's only really until the last year or so that I realized that, that uh, um, that's one membership <laughs> that's been, um, you know, I really never really felt like a member because I, I've always kind of felt like an outsider. And I still feel that way to a certain degree when I go to the Champions Dinner at the PGA every year, um, you know. Because really? Yeah, I do. I, I, I really do. I, I felt that for a long time. You know, maybe not so much the first couple years. But I think really as my career has has kind of dwindled on the PGA Tour, um, you know, I, I feel I feel that. I mean, I do feel a sense of accomplishment and satisfaction, uh, you know, of being in that group of guys, but but each of those guys that you go in, most of them are Hall of Famers or going to be Hall of Famers. You know, you think of Rory and and Jason Day now, and and Phil Mickelson, Martin Keimer. I mean, all these guys that have won PGA Championships. You know, Tiger for sure. Um, you know, so I go into that group and and I and I go through and I see my picture every year that they they give it to me after the after the Champions Dinner ceremony. Um. You know, I go through the list of guys, and I'm like, oh, man, I just need to be in the back row somewhere because I just kind of feel like as each year goes by, you know, I just – I don't really feel like I really belong anymore. And uh, it, it's a, and I felt that way for a while. It's tough to tough to admit that, but, but, I, but I do understand that uh, – I mean, look, there are days – there are days that I wish that I, I, I never would have, would have picked up a golf club and played this game, that, that, that I would have gone on and uh, – and just been a pilot for FedEx like my father, you know. And when I got into college, um, you know, I still wasn't sure whether or not I wanted to play professional golf. But it wasn't until, like, my, really the start of my junior year when I got a new coach that, that I felt like that's what I wanted to do. So there are parts of me that feel that way today. And I, um, Why? You know, I, yeah, I don't know if it's midlife crisis type thing but just or just overall disappointment because – you know, I continue to, to, to really work hard on my game. I practice. I mean, I practice as hard now as I as I ever have. I, I play golf. I mean, I'm out there five, six hours every single day, you know, going to the gym and looking for my next opportunity. The game has changed. Um, you know, um, gone are the days where I, you know, would get some sponsors exemptions. I mean, I don't get any of those anymore. I don't get any, I don't get any invites to the web.com. So a lot of this stuff, I think um I mean it's just it's just how it happens. I mean, you know, uh you know, the interest level is not there and so what do I need to do? I gotta work hard, I gotta try to get back on the PGA tour somehow and in the next couple of years and then I'll play the champions tour in three years. But there have been a lot of things over the years that people have said and I know this has really been a long winded answer and it's kinda of taken me down a lot of different roads. But I think it's important for people to realize that uh you know, when you're out there um, your your goals are to to play well, to play at a high level, to to compete and to win, and uh, <clears throat> it was just really difficult. I and mean, we could spend a couple hours on, you know, on why you know maybe why I didn't win, you know, beyond that. But it, it's difficult too. Once once one year goes by, you don't think, oh, that's no big deal. I enjoyed my year, and those are the things that Bob Tway and Jeff Sluman both told me. They said, Sean, you know. Work hard, enjoy this this next year, and and uh, don't worry if things don't really go your way. It's a lot of there's a lot of newness here, but but work hard and get back to uh, to playing great golf. And but again, as as the first year went by and I didn't win, oh, it's no big deal. It's just I'm in a I mean it's kind of in the honeymoon of winning the PGA. Then the next year went by, 
And then, you know, then I got injured in 07. I had surgery in 08. And now it's kind of like, well, that, that's just, that's the end of that. So um, it's hard. It, it really is. I mean, you look at Rich Bean, you know, Rich Bean, all the, all the, 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 you know, interest he's gotten over the last couple of days with his thing in Hong Kong with Ian Poulter. I mean, Rich hasn't won. I don't think Rich has won since the 2002 PGA. Um, it's happened, and it happens to you. And uh, for whatever reason, um, you know, most people don't end their career on a high note. I can't think of too many people, maybe Barry Sanders, um, that end their careers on high notes. I mean, for the most part, you're either told to leave or you're pushed out through attrition or you just don't want to play anymore. And uh, I'm starting to see some of those things. I've, I've kind of seen the writing on the wall for a number of years, but uh, I still work hard to um, to try to get out there because I feel like mentally, I feel like if I could get back out there, um, you know, I could compete. Um, there's been a lot of negativity the last couple of years, and, and I succumbed to some of that, but I feel like I'm kind of rising above all that. And if I mentally, I feel like I could get out there, I can compete. But, um, you know, going back to what That's we good. talked about earlier with the technology, you know, there were days when you would – length has always been something that people have, have strived for. And, uh, you know, there were t- days where you'd get out driven by somebody by 20 – you know, Davis Love is always probably one of the longest hitters of guys that actually competed on the tour. And, you know, he might outdrive you by 25 yards. Now when you get out driven, you're getting out and driven by 100 yards. And you're looking really? at some of these guys. And you're, yeah, I mean, you get a 290-yard drive, and these guys are hitting catching it downwind. You know, they're hitting at 390, 370. I mean, it's, uh, it's, really, it's really just it's a young wow. man's game now. Yeah, it's yeah. a young man's game. I mean, um, so uh, anyway, it, it's hard. It, it's really hard to really put – uh, really, my my thoughts and feelings into a, a, a sentence or two. So I apologize for getting a little kind of off, right. off track here, but but uh, it's just hard to summarize that. Um, there's just a feeling that that I think that I have that uh, is hard to really kind of get out. Um, we all recognize uh, whatever sport it is, whatever whatever job or profession that you've you've chosen. We all realize where we are on the totem pole. Some people are are there at the top. Some people are working their rear end to try to get to the top. Some people are satisfied with just just being middle of the road. And uh, um, I think when you're a professional athlete and, and you're under a lot of scrutiny, there's a lot of motivation out there to try to reach the top. But it's just not attainable. Um, the guys that, that are the best at their profession, they just do things. They They look like they're doing the same things. But for some reason, they either get the ball in the hole quicker, or um, they're just they're just better mentally, or whatever the case may be. I mean, look, if you took Jack Nicklaus, he he would never make a cut on the PGA Tour. But I guarantee you, in his mind, he thinks he can. He thinks he can beat all these kids, um, but he just can't. So you know, he's 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 older, and um, and that's just I think that's just the way it goes. I'm 46 years old, and and uh, maybe Father Time has kind of gotten the best of me. But I'd certainly like to have one more shot at it. Yeah, and we're rooting very hard for you to get that one more shot at it, and 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 uh, I I got a good feeling about 2016 for you, Sean. One well, one more thing. Flip, huh? Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. Finish your thought. No, I was just saying I'm I'm gonna you know in in my quest to try to get back to the PJ Tour, I'm I'm going to the Web.com Tour School here in a couple of weeks. Actually, I think it's in three weeks. I'm going to Houston and. uh you know, going to try this one more time, I think, and just try to get back onto the web because I think that's that's really the only access now to the PJ Tour, as they call it, the pathway to the PJ Tour. 
Um, so I'll do that. And, and I've still got a lot of friends out there that I want to compete with and play with. And it's funny, you know, when I get get in some of these events, you know, people looked at me the last couple of years and like, Sean, where have you been? And, um, you know, it's uh, it's nice to know that guys guys care about you out there. You know, it's a, it's a family. It's a traveling circus every week. You get you go to dinner with guys. You play practice rounds with guys. You see them in the locker room. You, you form really good, solid relationships with other guys. And, um, you know, when you start to lose some of that, you, you know, you miss it. I certainly miss the travel. I, I, uh, but, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing the things that I need to do to try to get back on, uh, to play more, more regularly. And, um, you know, hopefully this next year I'll, I'll get back and get some more status and, and get a chance to play golf and do, do the things that I love to do. So that's, uh, those are, those are the things I'm working for. Yeah, and we're rooting hard for you to get there as well. One more, Sean, before we let you go. Yeah. So we went on the on the on the negative side. On the positive side, yeah. what's 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 the nicest thing someone has said to you over the course of your career that that has stuck with you? And and maybe in times when when things haven't been going well, you could reflect back on it and say, you know what, that was that meant a lot to me. Well, I mean, there's been a lot. I mean, it's hard to really single out one one particular thing. Um, you know, just the support that I think you get from the from the PGA Tour, uh, the, the players out there. That, uh, um, you know, they uh, just by I, I would say, you know, just by them asking, you know, Sean, where have you been? I mean, I think that that uh, that kind of stands out. I mean, most guys are there to embrace you. Um, you know, it comes from your family. Um, you know, my, my mom and dad were always huge supporters and, uh, you know, always put their arm around me and, and told me to keep my head up and stuff like that. But, um, you know, that's kind of cliche. I mean, you get that. Um, but there's, it's really no, no one thing that I can really think of offhand that, that I can, I can really point to. Um, you get a lot of positivity from, uh, like I said, just being out there and competing from the fans. Um, you know, I think I get a lot of notes. I still get quite a few notes from people uh, in the mail, and uh, they ask me right? to sign something. Yeah, I still no. get a few of those. And, I, you know, of course, I used to get a lot more. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, being asked to, to come speak to, to the University of Memphis program, people understand um, that are in the game know how difficult the game is. Um, there's a lot of guys and there'll be a lot of ladies from the LPGA that, that, that try to play the game that just don't ever make it to the PGA tour and don't ever have the level of, of success that even I've had. Um, now look, I, I, I was certainly, uh, my career has been pretty good. Um, we always want things that are better. Um, but you got to be satisfied, um, and know that you've, you've, you've done the, the things that you can do to, uh, to be successful, um, and really have no regrets. But, um, I do. I do have a whole pile full of letters and stuff that people have sent me, um, you know, congratulating me on my win, acknowledging the fact that, yeah, it's understandable that I haven't won since, but that, uh, you know, I, the, the PJ win is, is, you know, and the, the way that it was accomplished was a significant part of my life and um, brought a lot of satisfaction to the fans. Uh, so, um you know, it's hard to single one thing out. I think just just being being embraced by the fans and and uh, my 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 town here in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, you know, when I go out, I see a lot of people that want to talk about the seven iron, and and they all understand. There's been a lot of good moments in my career, but but that's the one one thing that people will remember. And I think 
um, you know, along with that and, and some of the great things that we're doing with Make-A-Wish here and the kids of St. Jude and Le right. Bonner, um, you know, those are the things that I guess I'm maybe most known for now. And, uh, you know, um, you know, golf is always going to be a part of my life and, and hopefully I can have been able to give back enough in the community that people will start to remember me, um, for some of the things that Stephanie and I are doing, um, beyond, beyond the golf course. There you go. And Sean, as you, as you just mentioned, uh, going back out, uh, to try to qualify on the web.com tour, where can our listeners catch up with you, maybe see you out on the golf course. And then, uh, you know, as well as we talk about every week, how can they uh, stay up to date with what you're doing over social media as well? Yeah. What's up? Yeah. I'm at, I'm at Sean McKeel PGA. And then I think I have a LinkedIn account, um, with just my name and then in my name for, for Facebook. Um, you know, it's interesting. I like to read, I like to, I like to see what's going on in the world of, of sports. Um, you know, but, um, it's a good avenue, I think, for people to try to reach out to me and, uh, and uh, it's been great for me to read and keep up with some of the things that are going on in the world as well. Where on the web.com tour, where, where uh, can people come out and reach out, reach on and give you the support uh, to help get you over the top? Yeah, well, you know, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to Deerwood, which is in uh, Houston. Anybody that, that remembers the movie Ten Cup, that is the fourth hole at Deerwood. Um, so I'll be there like the 7th or the 8th. Uh, it's actually the 11th through the – or maybe it's the tenth through the thirteenth, I think, of the dates, Tuesday through Thursday. Um, I'm actually going up to Bloomington, Indiana here in a couple of weeks. My golf coach is being inducted into the IU Hall of Fame. So I'm excited nice. to get up there and see him and then yeah. um uh, you know, see a lot of and he's the reason really why I got on the PJ tour and why why I why I won the PJ championship. He doesn't get enough credit. Um it'd certainly be great to have him on your show. He um yeah. he's the tour for seven or eight years and um, I spent I spent two weeks prior to the PJ Championship. I spent uh, three or four days up in Indiana learning how to chip again. <laughs> I've forgotten <laughs> how to chip, and uh, and that was really one of the reasons I won. I mean, my short game is pretty good. So Sam Carmichael is his name, and uh, he's been a, a, a huge part of my life, and was really the determining factor in not only my decision to stay at Indiana, because like Eric said, he went to Mississippi State, and that's where I was going at the end of my sophomore year until I realized that Sam was going to take over the program. Um, But he was uh, just a huge determiner in my decision to not only stay at IU, but also to play professional golf. And, um, And he was certainly an instrument in, in my win at the PGA championship. And, uh, I'll never, uh, never forget the days we spent just hitting basic chips around the greens. But um, so I'm doing that, and then I'm going to go straight from there to the Houston for uh, this web.com qualifying school. So I'm excited and uh, looking forward to it. But uh, if I don't make it again, I know, um, you know I'm going to be in for a long, long 2016. So I'm um, working hard towards that goal to, to play well and, and get back on the web.com and and uh, hopefully get back on the PJ tour. There you go. And and again, Deerwood uh, Country Club down in Houston, uh, November 10th through 13th. Uh, hopefully our listeners will, will come out in throngs to help support you. Sean, you know, we're, we're behind you and can't thank you enough for being a part of the show again this week. It's always, you know, great to sit back and listen to you share, you know, the experiences that you've had, you know, both on and on, on and off the golf course. So thanks. Uh, thanks for being here. I look forward to hopefully, as your schedule allows, uh, continuing to have you as part of the show. 
Yeah, Chris, thank you so much. I, it's uh, it's always kind of therapeutic. You know, we don't always get into these these uh, get into my mind a little bit, but I'm you know I'm, I'm really happy to share anything uh, and everything really about my life. I I don't know if that's good or bad. You know, some people might not think that's the greatest thing no, to. Uh, it's a great thing to give up so much information, but I but I enjoy it. It's it's good for me too. Ah, well, great, and we enjoy having you, and thank you. You know, you're willing to share as much as you are, so that's great stuff, and it's uh, it's great to listen to. In the meantime, Sean, uh, best of luck, and uh, you know, like I say, as as your schedule allows, we look forward to the opportunity to catch up with you hopefully again real soon. That's great, Chris. I appreciate it. All right, take care, Sean. All the best to you and your family, my friend. All right, you too. Thank you. Bye bye. 2003 PGA champion Sean McKeel, and I tell you what, I, I love, I love how open Sean is. I mean, his, you know, his life becomes, you know, an open book, and the, the fact that he's willing to share so much of, you know, uh, what he's been through and what he's going through and what his goals are and and uh, stories from his life, it's 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 really great stuff. And I hope you're enjoying it because uh, I really am listening to, uh, enjoying listening to Sean share all of his life experiences with us. All right, folks, before we uh, we close up shop, I want to give you a word from our friends over at the SMGA. Take a listen from our friend and new partner, uh, Jim Estes. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S., If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating, or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Absolutely. Great stuff. Uh, PGA Tour Pro Jim Estes and the great folks over at the Salute Military Golf Association are doing such wonderful things. Please do what you can to get involved and to help out. Go online to smga.org to see what you can do and do something great for some great individuals today. All right, folks, it's about time for me to put a bow on this episode. Before we close up shop, you know, I like to remind you every single week. Uh, about our friend Dave Stockton Jr. and his father, uh, Mr. Stockton. You know, they're a great book out there on your own game. Remember, folks, we hear about it every single week from uh, from the folks that join us on the show. So much of the game of golf is played between that five-inch space between our ears. Get your mind right. In their book, the Stocktons let you know how to you know play better golf using your mind, play winning golf about using your mind and own your own game recreates the the experience of riding 18 holes with Mr. Stockton at one of his highly sought after corporate outings and draws from his experience as a champion player, both on the regular tour, the senior now champions tour, and as well as a, you know, a, a revered coach for so many great players. He shows you how to think better, stay calmer, execute more consistently. And most importantly, folks, how to enjoy the game more thoroughly. Go to StocktonGolf.com to get your copy, and for a couple of extra dollars, Mr. Stockton will even autograph it for you. Plus, now, the Stocktons have also started a new partnership with a company called Back Nine Greens. For our listeners out in California, check out BackNineGreens.com. If you're like me and you hate cutting the grass, 
Check out, first of all, their great artificial turf landscaping is out of this world. Plus, they also uh, create putting greens, which are absolutely amazing. They have an unmatched passion for installing the highest quality artificial grass products, including synthetic grass lawns and synthetic turf putting greens. And they're absolutely amazing. Check them out online, back9greens.com. All right, my friends, my sincere thanks again to Eric Johnson and Sean McKee for joining me today and making the, t- you know, the show for me so much fun. I hope you enjoyed it, too. We thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you guys the very most. We know you have thousands of choices for programs to listen to or download or stream, and we appreciate that Next on the T is one of them. Please also check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazaria and our announcer, Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it on the Armed Forces Radio Network.org, going to Blog Talk Radio as well. You can find us uh, on uh, so many other great sites like iHeartRadio, Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Player.fm, and SoundCloud as well. Audio Boom is, is on board with us. Podbean is also on board with us as a, as a podcast. So please... Join us every single week. We are joined by legends from around the NFL and the NFL. Please check out both shows on Facebook. Give us a like. You know That's important to us, too. You can find both shows online. This one, nextonthetea.net and thursdaynighttailgate.com. You can stream or download any of our archive episodes for free and stay up to date with who some of our future guests are going to be by going to either site. Thank you again, folks, for listening to today's show. We really appreciate it. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Christmas Carol, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors, and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love from the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf. of a drill instructor directing a musical. Town hut! Get those tap heels in line and let me see those jazz hands! Are you bundling your home and auto insurance through Progressive? Can you hear me through those sequins? Bundle your home and auto through Progressive and save. Left, left, left and step ball change. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates. Home insurance provided and serviced by other select insurers.